0: The scripture reading for today begins in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14 and runs through verse 24. And here's what I read. We urge you brothers admonish the unruly encourage the faint-hearted help the weak be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays one another with evil for evil, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, holding fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is the one who called you, he will bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather, listening for your voice and trusting that your Holy Spirit will teach us. Our desire as we enter into a new year is that we would pursue with our whole being this call to wholeness, a call that you invited us to pursue and have equipped us to pursue in Christ. Toward dead end, Father, our desire is to live as people of blessing in our city, in our world, for one another as well. So would you speak to us even today and give us clear steps we can take toward spirit and soul and body wholeness, and we'll thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name, amen. And so welcome, everyone, to a new year and a new series, and this series about spirit, soul, body wholeness is intended to answer a couple of questions. The first question is this, what is wholeness? And the second question What steps do we need to take to pursue wholeness? And let me just tell you at the outset why I think this matters. Almost every one of us who are gathered today, and those who don't gather with us, those who are outside the church, all of us, I believe, live with an awareness of a huge gap between who we are and who we sense we're called to be. Sometimes that dissonance is phrased with uh, words like this, I feel stuck. Other times we say, is this all there is? Other times we're mindful that in spite of our best attentions, uh, we make terrible choices over and over again. With drugs or alcohol or sex or cynicism or greed or hating our bodies or all kinds of destructive forms of self-medication, we're saved, we're called, we know God, we love God, but the life that we're living seems remote and distant in contrast to the life We know we're called to live, and it's this dissonance that we want to address. And make no mistake, this dissonance is real for everyone, both people inside the church and out. And that's why I think that a series about spirit, soul, body, wholeness is so important, because it moves us to close that dissonant gap and become, in practice, more aligned with the calling that God has for us in our lives. So here we go. When Jesus said in John 10... I've come to give you life, he meant some very specific things, right? He meant I've come to free you from guilt and shame, and yet the reality is often we find ourselves, in spite of the fact that we know Christ, living under a cloud of failure and inadequacy. He came to free us from hidden sin, and in spite of that, many of us carry the weight of covering things up in our lives and wondering when we're going to be discovered Or we hear the weight of feeling like we're two different people. We're a a Sunday person and a Monday person. Or we're a a person with our Christian friends and peers, and we're another person uh, in other settings. And that hypocrisy bothers us, and it should bother us. We know that when Jesus offered this promise of life in John 10, he invited us and desires that we live deeply in community where you know that there's a tribe that both knows you and supports you, But in spite of that calling, many of us understand that we live in this epidemic of loneliness and superficial relationships that characterize most of the Western world. Mother Teresa said, if the greatest wealth in life is the wealth of relationships, America is the most impoverished nation in the world. Because in spite of all of our material wealth, we find ourselves often isolated, where people don't really know us. And it is not normal for you to live alone in the sense that nobody knows your struggles, nobody knows your fears, Nobody knows your hopes. Nobody knows your joys. Nobody is supporting you. When Jesus said, I've come to have life, he's calling us to a life filled with contentment. But we live in a life filled often with envy, an envy that afflicts us because of social media and comparison and because of the avalanche of advertising, which tells us that adequacy and meaning and contentment can be bought. And so we have all these dissonances. We know we're made for this, but we're living over here, and this dissonance is what we want to address, right? So we're made to be at home with our body, at home with our sexuality, at home with aging, but instead we have body image issues. We're made to be at home with a sense of calling, but instead uh, there's a sense of boredom or a sense of feeling uh, stuck. All of these things are what we're trying to address in, in this series. And so this series says... If there's a dissonance between who you are and who you know you ought to be, don't make peace with that dissonance. Instead, learn to live so that over the course of your lifetime, you're closing that gap. The dissonance is a presenting problem. And if you're aware of the dissonance, that's actually a good thing. Because when I pay attention to the dissonance, I can learn from it And as I respond properly, I can close that gap and move toward the life for which I'm created, which is a life of meaning and community and peace with God and peace with my body and peace with my sexuality and peace with my money and and, and loving my neighbors. So if the dissonance is there for you, welcome to the series, because that's exactly what we're going to be addressing in these next several weeks. And today's introductory session offers... Three statements that kind of frame the entire series. Statement number one, you're called to wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. Statement number two, you've received a new spirit. And statement number three, transformation comes from letting that spirit reign. So statement number one, the big picture, you're called to wholeness. So if we look at that little diagram that's up here for us, we see that when Paul prays in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that uh, we would be made whole, spirit and soul and body, he's declaring something that kind of runs as three different threads through the Scriptures. We're, we're made in kind of three parts, in a Trinitarian sort of way, where each one of these things is part of us, but none of these things singularly define us. We really are all three of these cords woven together, spirit and soul and body. And let me just explain to you a little bit of each of these parts as we we enter into this series. When we're talking about the spirit, the spirit, that inner circle, is the part of us that is intended by God to be this force, this, this place where God is at rest in us, this place where Christ dwells, And because Christ dwells in the Spirit, to the extent that Christ dwells in the Spirit and is free to kind of move out and and take control of the soul and ultimately then the body, to the extent that the Spirit is empowered to do that, we begin to see in our lives, in our body, in our mind, in our will, our emotions, we begin to see a reflection of Christ in Christ's life. This is why in Galatians chapter 5, remember what it says? The fruit of the Spirit is... Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering. All of that stuff that presents out in our body comes through our soul, our mind and will and emotions, but has its origin, if it's the fruit of God, has its origin in our spirit, right? So that's our spirit. Now our soul is kind of, think of your soul as your personality, your mind, your will, your emotions, and because of that, we can clearly understand that every one of us, in the same way that we have unique bodies, we all have unique souls. And so one person uh, is, is um, they, living inside the mind a lot. They think a lot. They're intellectual. One person lives more by emotions. One person has a strength of will. Whatever it is, everybody has different things. And th- this, this blend of mind and will and emotions, unique to each one of us, is our, it's kind of what creates our personality, it's our soul. And God's intent is that the soul would be under the direction and influence of the spirit, right? Uh, And when the spirit directs and controls our mind and will and emotions, because we've been filled with the spirit, we move toward the life for which we're created. But if the spirit is sort of missing in action, or dormant, or dead... Our soul fills the void in its own search to build a life of meaning. And so the challenge that we face in our broken world is this though all of us have these kind of three parts spirit and soul and body apart from an encounter with Christ and an activating of Christ's life within us, all we have. Uh, through which we can find meaning, is our soul and our body. In other words, if my spirit is dead, which is what we're told in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, like you were dead in your trespasses and sins, if my spirit is dead, I'm just left with my mind, will, and emotions and body to create a life of meaning. And then I will try and do that in some sort of way. I'll pursue wealth. I'll pursue pleasure. I'll pursue uh, power. I'll pursue family. I'll pursue religion. I'll pursue art. I'll pursue something. But the result of this is that the life for which I'm created will elude me. Because I can only enter into that life to the extent that the Spirit is kind of directing and running the show. The Spirit's intended to be, in a sense, the author. When my uh, dad died, and I kind of sunk into a pretty deep depression, took basically a vacation from God, I would say that though though Christ lived in me, I completely stopped listening to Christ. And so Christ is there, yes. I know Christ. I'm saved. I believe I'm going to heaven when I die. But there's a dissonance in my life between who I am and who I know I'm called to be, and having been cut off from the spirit, I was like this, you know what? I, I'm going to become an architect and I'm going to make buildings because buildings will last longer than people. And I want to I leave a legacy of some sort. When I die, I want something to be there. And so I set off into a life using my kind of gifts of creativity and visualization and imagination, because I love creating things, and I I set off in a life, and I could, and I succeeded. I, I got into a good architecture school, and I was able to produce and get good grades, and I was an upward path, but in spite of all of that, that was not the life for which I'm created, and every one of us are at risk of missing the life for which we're created if we don't allow the Spirit of God to reign in our lives, And what happens often is when in our soul we begin to build a life kind of, quote, unquote, on our own, a life of our own making without the empowerment and direction of the Holy Spirit, when we're we're building our own life, we can build a life, but what ends up happening quite often is the, the very things in our world that are the gifts of God become distorted when we cut those gifts off from the source. So maybe you want to build a life of wealth. And then what we see in our world is wealth becomes kind of the 99% and the 1%. And there's people living in poverty and hunger Maybe you want to live a life around food, you become a foodie, but food, though it's a gift of God, becomes in our broken world obesity, and anorexia, and, 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 and food addiction, and body image issues, and and maybe you want to live a life of sexual pleasure, but sexual pleasure becomes sexual addi- addiction, and predatory behavior, and infidelity, and human trafficking, and pornography, all of which are substitutes for real intimacy. So we go after something in our soul, but the thing that we build just in our soul, not only doesn't satisfy, it's often destructive. James 1 says, every gift comes from God. Food, money, sexual pleasure, creation, beauty, intimacy, relationships, all good. Ecclesiastes reminds us, though, that every gift becomes distorted and destructive if the gift... Doesn't find expression that has its origin in the spirit. If the gift is only originating in my soul, my own autonomy, the gift becomes distorted, and not only distorted, but but destructive. And so uh, what happens in our lives is we have this we have this problem of a soul and a body with a dormant spirit. But of course, that brings us then to point to, which is very good news, our spirit is born again. And so when you came to Christ, a marvelous thing happened. It's not just that you got your ticket stamped so you get to go to heaven when you die. That's called justification. But in Romans chapter 5, we're told this, that though we're reconciled to God through the death of God's Son, Jesus much more having been reconciled by his death will be saved by his life. And what I love that happens there is Paul makes a distinction between reconciliation and salvation. Reconciliation is simply being made right with God. Here's the reality. Christ died for your sins. And when Christ died for your sins and sat on the cross, it is finished, you are no longer guilty, right? Romans 8, there's therefore no no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you were alienated from God, you've been reconciled. If you're cut off, the relationship has been restored. You can have perfect confidence that God loves you, is for you, with you, wants to, wants to walk with you through life in spite of your failures, in spite of your inadequacies, <clears throat> because you know that Christ died for you. You are reconciled by his death. But, sadly, I think often the Christian life ends there for many people. And our obsession and concern becomes our eternal destiny. Am I going to go to heaven when I die? Well, that's a matter of reconciliation. But Romans 5 says this. If you've been reconciled by the death of Christ, much more having been reconciled, you'll be saved by his life. Reconciliation is not the same thing as salvation. So what is salvation then? Well, this is what Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This, this benedictory blessing to the church in Thessaloniki was that every person in the church would prosper and live in fullness in every area of life, spirit and soul and body. And when my soul and body are wholly given over to the reign of Christ's spirit, good things happen. That's salvation. It begins to affect my mind, my will, my emotions all kinds of stuff. So understand then, the very good news is this, your spirit has been born again. If you're in Christ, then Christ lives in you. That's this little drawing here with the cross in your spirit. Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 to 26 says that the mystery that was hidden from previous generations is now revealed to us. And the mystery is this, in the past, in the garden, God walked Prepositions are important. God walked with Adam. And then when Jesus came, uh, the angel said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. But now, post-cross, post-resurrection, Paul has understood the mystery, and the mystery is this. God is not just beside you. God is not just with you. God is not your friend, your coach, your cheerleader, your boss. Christ is your life. Christ lives in you. And that's what makes all the difference. So the Bible is filled in this kind of New Testament post-resurrection world with all kinds of proclamations of what God has proactively given us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, in Christ you have been made complete... This book uh, called Immortal Diamond by Richard Rohr speaks a little bit of this, just how profoundly important it is that we live out from this new identity. This is what he says. Most spirituality has said in one way or another that we have all indeed begun to forget, if not have fully forgotten, who we are. Universal amnesia seems to be the problem. Religion's job is purely and simply one thing, to tell us and keep reminding us of who we are. And I would only add, of who we are in Christ. And then uh, he goes on and explains this a little bit uh, using a metaphor. He says, most of Christian history has largely put the cart of requirements before the horsepower itself, thinking that loads of carts, or I have the best cart, will eventually produce horses. Carts never produce horses. The horsepower is our union with God. And in my language, and Paul's, uh, in Colossians 1, union with God, uh, Christ lives in you. Find God, the primary source, and the spring water will forever keep flowing, naturally. Once you know that, the problem of inferiority, unworthiness, low self-esteem is resolved from the beginning, at the core, and you can spend your time much more positively marching in what Paul calls 2 Corinthians 2, the triumphal parade, Christ is the source of our life. Christ does the work. And Christ, the good news, Christ lives in you. The day you came to Christ, you, listen, on that day you received everything you need to live the Christian life. So we don't need to kind of spend the rest of our lives wondering what more we need to find out there. We need to learn what we have in here and learn how to allow what we have in here to so overwhelm the reality of our soul and our body that we become increasingly a reflection of nothing less than Jesus. I began discovering this through the ministry of Torchbearers because the entire ministry of Torchbearers is based on this message of finding your identity in Christ and learning to allow Christ to empower your daily living. And I learned that as a child when I encountered a torchbearer speaker uh, at, at a, a camp, Mount Hermon, where my grandmother was a cook, and I forgot about it for many years for, for many, many reasons. But one of the reasons I forgot about it is in my Christian life, in kind of its normal iteration, in the Central Valley of California where I grew up, the message, the message that I heard every single week is this, Christ died for your sins, receive Christ as your Savior so you can go to, you can go to heaven when you die. And so the whole message... The whole message was about avoiding hell. And ultimately, I kind of forgot about the reality that I was complete in Christ. And so, and my dad had died, I'd taken a vacation from God, basically. I eventually came back to God and eventually went to seminary. And it was there that this this truth of the reality that Christ lives in me, right, that little drawing there with a cross by the Spirit, the reality that Christ lives in me um, came back to me. I was with a few seminary friends and we're taking this class on Romans and the professor was one of my favorite professors. So we met with him after class one day and we said, listen, if if the Holy Spirit lives in me, if Christ lives in me, and if Christ can't sin, has overcome the world... Is, is filled with all this, you know, resurrection life and power. If that power lives in me, why, why would I ever sin? Like we were, we were so struggling with the dissonance between the reality that Christ lives in us and that we're called to this life of joy and wisdom and generosity and holiness and who we are in practice. And so we asked him, if Christ lives in me, why am I living this way instead of this way? And I'll never hear what he said. He said... Every time we sin, it's because we forget who we are. And for me, that answer has been foundational to shaping this kind of theology of new life in Christ that I've been teaching for 35 years. Every time we sin, it's because we forget who we are. What does that mean? Put another way, it means this. Everything, your entire trajectory of your life is determined by the extent to which you believe and practice the reality that Christ lives in you and that you are completing Christ. If that's not your starting point, you will never enter into the life for which you're created. Why? Because the only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. You can't. This is what Jesus meant when he said in John uh, 63 uh, that the flesh profits nothing. It's what he meant in John 15 when Jesus said, from me you can do nothing. I mean, you can obviously do things without Christ. You can drive, eat, speak, create, buy, sell. But here's what Jesus is saying when he says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, look, you're created for a life of, you know, joy and wisdom and generosity and a life of fruitfulness so that by virtue of your presence in the world, other lives are blessed, other people are changed. And Jesus is saying, you can do a lot of stuff, but you can't do that unless its origin is my life. I'm the source. Because I'm the only one who can live that life. So the union of Christ's spirit with your spirit becomes the source of all your fruit, which is why Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. And that means that the starting point of our Christian life is that Christ is alive in us, able to express his life through us. We need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. And so we have practical tools today, sheets with verses about your identity in Christ, the reality that Christ lives in you, that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're adopted, that you're empowered, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've used these sheets in countless pastoral counseling sessions, and I have one on my refrigerator that I look at every time I open the refrigerator, I look at a verse that reminds me that Christ lives in me in some fashion. Christ is my joy. Christ is my strength. When I'm weak, Christ is my strength. When I'm anxious, Christ is my peace. When I'm afraid, Christ is my courage. And so my encouragement to you is to kind of take that identity sheet, put it on your refrigerator or put it somewhere where you will remind yourself. Why? Because we're told that we're transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of our mind. Like our soul needs to begin to believe that we have this this new life in Christ. And then uh, we also have these rule of life sheets, and those are available in the back, uh, and they're also available uh, online. And one of the practices that helps us be rooted in this new identity is the practice of meditation. So whether you meditate on a verse such as, I'm complete in Christ, or you meditate on Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or you meditate on this, uh, he himself is our peace, Christ is my peace. When When I slow down and I repeat over and over again and kind of chew on one declarative truth regarding what Christ has done for me, who Christ is in me, that truth begins to can it permeate not only my mind, but my emotions as well. And then that changes the way that I look at the world. That's why meditation is so valuable, even if it's only for two minutes. It's really, really important. And this brings us into the final thing this kind of bigger picture. I want you to see how the spirit and the soul and the body all fit together. And to do that, I want to read for you a little bit from uh, a book called They Found the Secret. This is a book uh, with several biographical stories of people who came to discover this kind of reality that Christ lives in us. And it's such an important principle because without that, many people will spend their whole lives working, quote-unquote, for Jesus and missing the point. So Major Thomas was the founder of Torchbearers, uh, the the ministry of Bible schools with which I'm affiliated and and I go teach in various places around the world. Uh, And his own story was he came to Christ as a, as a young boy, I think maybe at the age of 12 or so, and immediately was filled with kind of this zeal and got kind of deeply involved, felt like he was going to become a missionary in Africa. But he spent the next seven years of his life really trying hard to follow Jesus, trying hard to live the Christian life. And that trying looks like what many of us in the room do. I got to pray more. I got to study more. I got to serve more. I got to give more. I got to be more. Inherent in that is a sense of pride should you succeed at your own goals, and that's ugly, or a sense of condemnation should you fail in your own goals, and that's also ugly. And embedded in that ultimately is a sense of burnout. And this is As I get older, this is just a thing that is kind of a fire in my bones It so breaks my heart that people begin life in Christ and don't continue to enjoy the journey. And I'm convinced that enjoying the journey begins with understanding that in our spirit we are complete in Christ. So this is what Major Thomas writes about his experience of coming to that discovery. I quote now from his writing. Then one night in November that year, just at midnight in my room at home, I got down on my knees and I wept in despair. I said, God, I know I'm saved. I love Jesus. I'm perfectly convinced that I'm converted. With all my heart, I've wanted to serve you. I've tried to my uttermost, but I'm a hopeless failure. So far as doing anything more, I'm finished. I'm not going to be a missionary. It's useless for me to continue like this. I hate my double life. And then that night, God revealed things to me and things happened. This was the moment that God had been waiting for for me to don't you love this? God had been waiting for me to come to the end of myself. Because when I come to the end of myself, then God speaks and offers me the reality of his fullness. This is what happens. God had been waiting for 7 weary years. God had watched me running around and around in the wilderness. He'd been waiting For the time when at last I would fall down in hopeless despair, then and only then I heard his voice. And this is what God said to my friend. For seven years with utmost sincerity, you've been trying to live for me on my behalf, the life that I've been waiting for seven years to live through you. I've been there the whole time, all the things you've been pleading for, all the things for which you've been asking have been yours since the day seven years ago when at your requested invitation I came into your heart at that boys camp. But you see, although you've given mental assent to the truth that I've been in your heart and have accepted that as a theory, you've lived your daily life totally ignoring that fact. You have been trying, you've been, excuse me, you've been busy trying to do for me all that only I can do through you. Now, suppose I am your life and you begin to accept that as a fact. Then, I am your strength when you're weak. You've been pleading and begging for that for seven years. I am your victory when you fail. I am your courage when you're afraid. I am the one to whom it is perfectly natural to serve and love all people. So, allow me to love others through you. Why don't you begin to live as if I live in you, as if I'm the source of your life, and begin each day saying, thank you, that you, Christ, live in me. And then Major Thomas writes this. That night, all in the space of an hour, I discovered the secret of Christ as life. I would just say to you, if I could only wish one thing for Bethany Community Church, it would be this, that we learn to not only believe that the resurrected Jesus lives within us, but that we learn how to tap into the resurrected Jesus as our sole source of power. Because when that happens, we begin to display in our life, in our body, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, and the capacity to make right choices, and the, the capacity to go places we'd never go and do things we'd never do on our own because now we're energized not by our... Uh, feeble humanity cut off from the Spirit, but we're energized by nothing less than the resurrected Jesus. So in this series, we'll see this foundation of what we call life in Christ, but then we're going to see more. We want to see how our growth in Christ is a matter of allowing our spirit, our new life, to, to run the show, so to speak, so that our mind and will and emotions come progressively under greater control of the Spirit. And this is the process of of learning to live out from the Spirit, and that's what it means to grow in Christ. You're learning to let the Spirit run the show. And to kind of explain what I mean, I'm going to show you this uh, last drawing here. Uh, you see, I've, I put a couple different colors on this drawing here, because the Spirit and kind of that, that yellow piece represents essentially the reality that there's something different living inside of you, Christ. And then... Uh, the, the desire of Christ is that that color that's in the middle there would begin to blend with the color that's in your soul, create a new color that's kind of uniquely you, but that then that, that color, now, now your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, now saturated with the resurrected life of Christ, now under the authority of Christ, your mind and your will and emotions are, are being reformed. This is the salvation of your soul. We'll spend two weeks talking about that. And then the beautiful thing that happens is this. As your soul is transformed, your mind and your will and emotions then begin to display differently in your body. And it says in Romans 8 that the spirit of Christ who lives in you gives life to your mortal body. So, this is very practical because we're not just talking about some kind of a pietistic ticket where you get to go to heaven when you die. And we're also not just talking about uh, a change in kind of devotional habits like, I read more, I pray more. We're talking about the Spirit so controlling your mind and will and emotions that maybe you make different food choices, maybe you sleep better. Maybe develop a new relationship with sexuality. Maybe you're you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and community and all the resources available. You're empowered to to break an addiction. Maybe you learn to say yes to God and in saying yes to God, you're saying no to greed or or no to cynicism or no to lust or no to fear. So we're talking about living differently in our body uh, when the day is done. This is just so practical. I'll give you one example in closing and it's a bit of a silly example but it just happened so it's fresh in my memory. Last night I was on Facebook and uh, I was scrolling down looking at what friends and family and people were saying and someone had posted some stuff and it was political and it, and it set me off in a, in a bad way, right? And, and so I immediately... Began to type a pr- really a snarky, compelling response. Like I was proud of it, but it was snarky. And then, before I pushed publish or whatever, this interior there's something in me that goes: Really, is this edifying? Is this going to anybody? Is this going to convince anybody? Is this going to do anyone any good anywhere? And so rather than push send or publish, I push delete. I really did have a sense of freedom. That's a tiny example, but let me tell you when the Spirit of God begins to take control of your mind and your emotions in increasing measure, then in increasing measure, everything changes. How you respond to traffic, how you respond to food how you respond to your own body, how you respond to aging, how you respond to loneliness, how you respond to intimacy, how you respond to using your gifts, how you respond to uh, like the constant barrage of advertising making you feel inadequate and making you feel that uh, purchasing is the pathway to contentment. I mean, Jesus says in John 8, look, if the Son, that's Christ who lives in you, if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. And imagine a community of people with the city of Seattle, who are, quote-unquote, free indeed, so in tune with the Spirit of God in them that they've overcome shame and fear and condemnation, and they're now free to live the life for which God has called them. I would say, don't settle for anything less. And so I'm going to pray, and then... I know that the pastors at each location will follow up and invite you into this life in Christ for the very first time or give you tools to continue to grow. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have this incredible privilege of having been born into this, this gift that you've given us, the indwelling Christ. You're there when we feel it. You're there when we don't. You're there when we believe it. You're there when we don't. But our desire is to... It's to so believe that, that you begin to reign and take over our mind and will and emotions, not in a way that annihilates our personality, but in a way that transforms our personality so that we uniquely, each one of us, are expressions of hope and life and, and mercy and generosity and wisdom in our city, in our world. Would you take us there in the week ahead, weeks ahead, and we'll thank you. We pray in Christ's name.